0: like people tend to view you in a variety of different ways when a person is self-destructive or when a person is going through something people have different interpretations about who they are but truthfully it's our own interpretation of who we are that matters the most (laughs)
1: Hello and welcome back to a very special bonus episode of Kaiju Weekly, the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster media. I am your host, Michael, and today I am joined by a very special guest. He is a poet, a professor of English at Delta College. Delta College at, in University Center, Michigan. His full-length collection of poems, Carbon Footprint, reached number one on Amazon's LGBTQ Poetry New Releases list and number two on Amazon's LGBTQ Poetry Best Selling list. He's also garnered a Pushcart Prize nomination for his work. He's a giant monster enthusiast, kaiju fan fiction writer, and YouTube vlogger. Welcome, Mr. Donnie Winter. How are you doing? Hello, Michael. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm excellent. Excellent. Did I make sure to cover everything in that intro?
0: Yes, you covered everything. I know there, <laughs> I've done a lot of stuff over the past couple of years, so you did it justice.
1: <laughs> good, good. No it's, no, it's a real pleasure to have you here. I promise. It's, it, I'm so, and I want to say I'm so sorry for taking so long to get this episode scheduled.
0: Oh no! I think it's worth the wait. Like honestly, I'm I'm very honored to be a part of this. Um, I it's just gonna be a really fun conversation, and I'm hoping that, um, I might be able to inspire other kaiju fans to pursue, you know, different art forms like poetry. So so yeah yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is, it's a, it's a really interesting conversation. I think we're about to have, uh, for this podcast in particular, we, we don't, we try to, we primarily focus on the movies, but we also like to throw in, um, we also like to throw in some other forms of media, like comic books, books, uh, short films, other stuff. And I think, you know, poetry is a, is a medium that I don't think we've actually explored yet. So welcome and congratulations on being the first one. (laughs) Thank you. Let's start out with the most obvious question, Donnie. Tell the audience who you are and what's your background with uh, Kaiju Media?
0: Sure. Uh, Well, um, well, my name is Donnie Winter, as we've talked about already. I currently teach English. I, I teach creative writing, composition, technical writing at a community college. And of course, as everyone knows so far, I am a writer and I love to write. I write a variety of different things, but... Poetry is my specialty. I have two books out right now. But when it comes to my history with Kaiju Media, it actually, for me, started way back in 2004. I started uh, becoming involved in Kaiju-themed message boards. And um, eventually, it led to me creating my own website. It is called Kaiju Galaxy. It still is out there. And I dedicated it to... um, kaiju creativity meaning fans who wanted to submit uh fan fiction art poetry all sorts of different things and yeah and it eventually led to me uh like i i started doing youtube way back in like 2007 and my youtube is largely like uh, a hodgepodge of everything but Mm -hmm. i have become very reliant on doing uh videos about Godzilla like analyzing different aspects of the films I've been doing collaborations with other kaiju tubers as we call ourselves so uh I've had quite a bit of experience and I've had a lot of fun doing it it's it's really great to have conversations with other fans
1: how has I'm cuz I'm curious how has being a college professor helped you or maybe even hindered you uh in some of your research with, with these films in this, in this, in this genre, let's just say this genre in general, how is, has being a professor kind of helped you out in that area? Oh, that's, well, that's a very good question. I really think that being a professor has helped
0: me hone my analytical abilities with regard to the realization that these films can be examined through a variety of different critical lenses. Sure. And, Those critical lenses are very much up to interpretation, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it really helped me notice small things in Godzilla films that I hadn't noticed before and develop a stronger appreciation for them and their metaphorical complexities, especially. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. This is an interesting little genre because a lot of, a lot of folks who are either new to it or are kind of outsiders to it just assume that it's a giant monster steps on buildings and, and fights other monsters. But there's a lot more depth to it. Uh, as we as we all know, like some of the like some of the fan favorites like uh, Godzilla, ver- or, I'm sorry, so Mothra versus Godzilla from 64 has so much to say uh, about different different parts of the about the economic and uh about economic complexity and even social complexity that was going on at the time. So I just think that it's I, I just think that it's really interesting when people are able to analyze these films from a different perspective. And you're coming at it from a very academic perspective, which I think is is very valuable. Oh thank you. I really appreciate
0: that. Yeah, I know I really nerd out particularly over the Heisei Godzilla uh saga. Really? Um especially the return of Godzilla in Godzilla vs Biollante, considering the you know, things happening at that time in history, you know, mm-hmm. had a huge influence over the art or
1: mm-hmm. in, in essence, the films, the films are the art. So, yeah. I mean, the, the whole, the whole genre is itself is, can be seen as an art form, you know, Tokusatsu, if we're talking strictly about Tokusatsu, like that is an art form unto itself, because, you know, in a, in a, in a era where we, where movie studios rely so heavily on CGI and computer graphics and and things of that nature. Um, I hope that this is not the case, but I get this sneaky feeling that maybe traditional tokusatsu, as we know it currently, is maybe go, well, might go by the wayside in a few years.
0: Right. I know that's been a concern of a lot of people's, but at the same time, I kind of have this odd flicker of hope that because of how much we're drawn to nostalgia these days that there might be efforts made to revive it and celebrate it in a way that hasn't happened before. So um, because like a lot of people always reflect back on art forms that seem to be, you know, pushed to the wayside, but Mm -hmm. those people typically are the ones who revive those things too. So I'm hoping that that happens.
1: Yeah. Nostalgia. uh, What I've learned personally in the last couple of years, especially Uh, nostalgia is a powerful drug. Uh, I mean, it, it, it is, it is such a powerful thing. Like for me, like for me personally, when I, I went through a sort of a personal crisis when my parents passed away. And so I found myself uh, gravitating towards, uh, so towards media that made me feel very nostalgic, like Godzilla films, power Rangers, uh, you know, some of the old, some of the old cartoons and television shows from the, from the eighties and nineties stuff that I grew up with. And I fully recognize that there was a hardcore nostalgic edge to that because you can, because as a 35 year old adult, I can recognize some of the shortcomings, um, some of the shortcomings in some of that media, but at the time I just, and even still to this day, I really don't even care because it's, you know, you like what you like and you love what you love. And, uh, there's, I don't think that anyone has a right to tell you otherwise when you really care about a piece of media or a franchise or a genre.
0: Oh, I completely agree with that. And I can really relate with that. Um, like that history with regard to you using the films as an escape like for me it was both the films and the music mm-hmm. uh, I actually just had a conversation with a couple other kaiju tubers recently about the right. significance of the music in the Godzilla franchise and how they like the, the scores themselves tell a story independent and sometimes you know unique from the actual film and um, and I think that that nostalgia, like while it can seem to be a negative thing for a lot of people, if it can empower and help people escape and resolve whatever they're going through, that's pretty significant in my opinion. Oh, It, absol-
1: it absolutely is. And I, and I love that you, you touched on a little thing here and I, and it's a good segue into what the bulk of our conversation is going to be. And, uh, and that's storytelling and specifically storytelling through poetry. So, uh, Give us a little bit of background on how on how you came to write poetry. How you came to, um, you know, feel the feel the want to feel the need to, however you want to put it, the need to write poetry or the desire to write poetry. There we go. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background with that. Yeah, sure, I would love to. Uh, so, well, I'm going to like rewind a little bit and
0: and talk a little bit about my experience prior to coming to poetry. Sure, I actually and I always brag about this to my academic colleagues who are very bougie and don't really like to acknowledge (laughs) fan fiction writing, but I always tell everyone that I would not be a professional writer had it not been for writing Godzilla fan fiction. Mm -hmm. I spent a good decade writing Godzilla fan fiction just as a leisurely hobby. And it eventually transitioned into poetry um, because I really liked the abstract qualities of the art form. Um and my early poetry often focused a lot on uh, godzilla films and 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 like specific characters. And then I started branching out more. but um that like has been very instrumental in my development as a writer. So as I grew and and learned how to harness poetry a little bit more, how I discovered that it could, allow me to express myself, but also withhold things that I didn't want people to know 100%. Like that made me feel very emboldened, right? Mm. And that's why I wanted to go on to teach it, because I think that it's a very underestimated art form. Mm. People assume that it's this impossible thing to do, and it really isn't. Um, and, And the truth is, we think that because we are taught that poetry needs to sound exactly like Shakespeare or Walt Whitman or whatever. And it doesn't like poetry Mm -hmm. is very diverse, but that's how it transitioned into me eventually producing books. So, so yeah,
1: that is, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that, that you have people out there that that say that a, that poet, let's just for poetry, since we're talking about poetry, it needs to, and this is, this can spill over into all kinds of other media. Uh, but we're going to focus on poetry and some other things here. But, um, when you say that people have this certain expectation of what something should look, what, what something should look like to me, uh, poetry is a very deep reflection of self. It is your, it is your innermost thoughts. It is, pro- it's probably a very, it, I view poetry as a, an intimate conversation with yourself, uh, that you are putting out on the page for others to read, uh, and who, and there's really no way a person can, um, copy that because like you said, you know, poetry is a very personal media, um, that is very customized to the, to the writer. Like, I hope I'm making sense here. Oh, you're Uh, making complete sense.
0: Yeah. Well, I like what you're saying is spot on in my opinion. And, and it's something that I often talk with, with students who are just starting out or, you know, people who are just genuinely curious about poetry, but have little limited experience with it. Essentially it's an exploration of the human experience. Poetry Mm -hmm. has historically always been that. And, um, And it can be used not only to self-reflect, it can be used to confess things, tell stories, even create characters.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now let me ask you, and this, you, you have, you don't have to answer this if you want, if you don't want to, but what is some of your, what is some of your life experiences that has shaped the way you write poetry? Oh, thank you. That's a good question, actually. Uh, for me, like as an
0: LGBTQ plus person, a lot mm-hmm. of my poetry shares my personal history with sure. growing up as an LGBTQ plus person, mm-hmm. uh, navigating the different things prior to coming out, and then sure. also, especially my recent book. Uh, talks a lot about what LGBTQ plus people have to navigate after coming out because coming out is glorified and glamorized as this experience where like, oh, once you come out, everything is perfect and there's nothing afterward, right? Life is just (laughs) sunshine and rainbows and (laughs) that's not the case, right? So um, like poetry has allowed me to kind of take those personal experiences Mm. and discuss them in a controlled environment. Right. But also kind of weave in the things that I'm very nerdy about, like Godzilla, for example.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, as to put it bluntly, as a straight white guy, I can't, I cannot necessarily understand to the fullest, to the fullest potential, the fullest extent of what you went through during your coming out journey. Like, but what I, what I really like the idea of though, is I get a little bit of a glimpse of that through your poetry and some of your writings, because I think that um, even, I think that, you know, reading poetry, because I was just kind of said, this is just kind of an on the fly thought, but reading poetry makes a person more empathetic because you are sort of getting a, a small window into the way that person thinks and the way that person feels. Yeah, 100%. Like I
0: agree with that completely. And poetry, I always think of poetry as being like this space where you invite someone to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you, like oh, in the book bad. itself, metaphorically speaking. Meta- yeah, exactly. Um and I guess like my goal with my own work is to allow it to be accessible to everyone. Like I want um white uh straight men to be able to read it and be like wow i never thought of this perspective this is interesting and educational like like mm-hmm. if that can be achieved through the work itself and to me that is my mission complete mm-hmm.
1: yeah and it, you know i think poetry also outside of some of those really deep themes i think poetry can also be very entertaining you know i've read uh i've read certain po- i've read poems that are you know very funny and just, just, just out just outright entertaining to me. Um, so what is, what are some of your favorite works of poetry that you've, that you've read throughout your writing career or ever or since you've started, uh, in, since you've started diving into the poetry realm yourself? So some of my like inspirations, like poet yeah, some inspirations,
0: of, some of your poet Ooh, inspirations,
1: that's a good question.
0: Um, my current favorite is, um, uh, Oh, it's so hard to choose, honestly. I love I love classics like Sylvia Plath because I sure. like me some good angsty poetry. Um, but Sylvia Plath's also a confessional poet, and I like my work is largely inspired by um confessional poetry. So um I also really love uh Susan Slaviero, who is a I would say a cyberpunk poet. Uh, I, I'm yeah. I'm very interested in cyberpunk genre material, and um, she writes at length about um, the human condition, and that's what I largely wanted to do in my second collection, uh, which is titled Feats of Alchemy. Mm-hmm. Um, some others that I can think of: uh, Meg Day, another one of my favorite poets. I love Walt Whitman. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: let's see. Those are the ones that I can think of off the top of my head.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah. So, to get a little bit more, to get a little bit more granular, tell us about your project because you just mentioned it. Tell us about your project, Feats of Alchemy. Oh yes. Uh, so,
0: Feats of Alchemy
1: is my uh, second collection
0: of poems. It was just released um, in October by Alien Buddha Press, my publisher, and um, the entire book is about like the different alchemy that we experience in day-to-day life. And alchemy, of course, in its general definition translates to taking something and turning it into something else, right? So yeah. every day we are encountering and navigating things where we we have to take parts of ourselves and transform them into something else to, you know, maybe be accepted by others or fit mm-hmm. into situations, right? Mm-hmm. And my goal with the book was to kind of like take this idea of a cyborg and and use that as a metaphor for what it feels like to be an LGBTQ plus person mm-hmm. post coming out. Right. And my goal is to have that uh, cyborg metaphor work for even individuals outside of the LGBTQ plus community, because all of us are always adapting ourselves or changing ourselves based on the world around us or the people that we are in. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, one of one thing that I really wanted to do with this book is I really wanted to weave in uh, kaiju characters a lot more and have greater conversations about how different kaiju, for example, could be thought of as metaphors, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. But yeah, in a nutshell, that is feats of alchemy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, when I think of the word alchemy, because back in early, like early 2000s, I actually I worked at a pharmacy and I know that uh, alchemy has a has a strong tie to pharmacology. Uh, And basically, I think the the way I'm kind of picturing it here is is poetry can be sort of medicine for your soul, uh, for your for your being, just to help you you know get out something that you need to get out so that you can be your true authentic healthy self that is how i'm kind of uh parsing out you know uh the the whole the whole art form of poetry and even your latest work of uh feats of alchemy yeah
0: like i completely agree with that like poetry is a catharsis right mm-hmm. and that can be very healing for people like, uh, when I created this book, uh, when I was in its early concept stages, I really wanted it to create different narratives about mental health as well. Yes. Um, and cause I was envisioning like the chemical processes happening in our minds and how that affects us. Right. Yes. Um, and actually some of my, the, the poems that I am most proud of, uh, come from that thought process. Cause I, took and really honed in on specific characters in the Godzilla franchise. I, I'm kind of low key obsessed with like the different scientist characters mm-hmm. in, in Godzilla films. So I took about five or six of them. I can and tell. And I, I wrote a poem for each of those characters, kind of creating a narrative about mental health, but also reflecting on that character's role in the specific film.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, the, uh, when I was reading some of your samples here, the one that stuck out to me the most was the one titled "Sarazawa." Um, and for anyone new to the genre, Sarazawa was the uh, name of the doc- uh, name of the doctor that developed the oxygen destroyer in the original in the original uh, Godzilla uh, 1954. And what I found so interesting about this one was, and, I th- and this is what you and I were talking about before we started recording, was like I can picture reading through this. I can picture Dr. Sarazal having this internal dialogue with himself as he's descending down, knowing that he will never return to the surface, like knowing what he has to do. And I just, I just found that. So I just found this one really, really interesting. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And that was my goal with the
0: poem was to kind of like paint this image of what he would probably be talking about, Mm-hmm. Internally, I was I watched Gojira 1954 prior to writing that poem just as some you know to provide some context on the character, sure. and as a person who has struggled with mental health in the past, mm-hmm. I've come to realize that the act of self sacrifice or the desire for self sacrifice can be in a way dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. And part of me wondered while watching the film, like, was Sarazawa intending to be noble? or was he just doing it for purely selfless reasons so on and so forth so like it it was really hard to gauge his intentions throughout the film and i think that was part of the mystery behind his character right like like was he just saddened and and wanting to you know go back on the terrible weapon of mass destruction that he created because he was the only one who could do anything or did he really want to just be this noble individual
1: mm-hmm.
0: because really he didn't need to self sacrifice necessarily
1: no he didn't he didn't and and i think that sometimes you know making yourself a martyr can be seen as uh it can be seen as selfless but it can also in in some, in some instances can also be seen as selfish exactly uh, yeah i think I, I think that you know it, it can definitely be seen in both both the good and the bad and the bad light there oh yeah for sure and
0: and and i just wanted with that poem to to explore that because i really feel like it's something that doesn't get discussed enough and i like one of my big things that i'm always complaining about is i feel like as kaiju fans we tend to overlook the human characters because the human Mm -hmm. characters are far more interesting and developed than we often give them credit for they Especially are. in that film too.
1: So yes, the you know the the human characters in some of these films. I think that I think that there is a a, a film is good when there's that balance of good human story and uh, a good amount of what we actually go to the watch these movies for is the kaiju action. Like one of my favorite films, of course, is Monster Zero because I think that there is a a good amount of human story interwoven within the, the kite or actually let's reverse that because I think that the kaiju story is more, can be more seen as interwoven into the human drama. I think that movie is, is primarily a human drama and a commentary on the human existence than it is a kaiju movie. But that's just my perspective. On, and
0: you know, or- arguably I would say that a lot of the Godzilla franchise is that like these characters, especially these Kaiju characters, mm-hmm. they all act as metaphors
1: mm-hmm. examining the human condition. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. Uh, now I want to talk about another piece you, that, you know, that you uh, have in the book and that is the, the one called the one titled the Dai Kaiju inside. Can you, Uh, give us a little bit of background on how that particular poem came to be, what the inspiration was and, you know, how you were kind of feeling while writing that one. Oh, yes. Uh, I
0: honestly, that's one of the poems I'm most proud of in the book. And um, I wrote it after having a conversation with one of my LGBTQ plus friends. Um, And we were kind of reflecting on this, belief the self-belief that we all although many of us have in the LGbtq plus community that we're all broken mm-hmm. and I wanted to write a poem about like the fact that like while we may feel like we're broken, like we've actually done a lot to kind of transform ourselves and come back from that. Mm-hmm. so in the poem, I kind of talk a little bit about how high school spits us out like we are a nuclear spill and how we've kind of, seemed like we're these mangled dysfunctional people on a mental health front, you Mm -hmm. know, trying to survive until our next meltdown. Right. Right. So in the poem I reference, um, I'm I'm just going to read a snippet of it. I say, now some think of me an alien, a vengeful Ghidorah born from solar storms. Others see me as a pyroclastic spill, a volcanic Rodan erupting from the depths Though many think I search to quench a Godzilla hunger, a nomad destined to wander, but after all these years I've become a Mothra, a guardian of his own home, a Phoenix reborn from a torn body. Mm-hmm. And I and it's no like it's no rumor, but Mothra is my favorite character. And the entire Oh you, Godzilla don't, franchise. you don't say. Right. You, you don't you don't say. You don't say. <laughs> surprise. Um <laughs> but I really I've really spent a lot of time in my life as an LGBTQ plus person, not only like navigating like Mm. bigotry and bullying and so on and Mm. so forth, but like people tend to view you in a variety of different ways. Mm -hmm. When a person is self-destructive or when a person is going through something, people have different interpretations about who they are. But truthfully, Mm -hmm. it's our own interpretation of who we are that matters the most, Mm -hmm. which is why I really wanted to end that with, Finally, this realization of knowing that I feel like I am a Mothra, that I have transformed, that I have, like a phoenix, come back from, you know, these difficult situations, right? So, um, and mental health wise, like the greatest monster of all is sometimes ourselves, right? Mm. And, And coming back from that is, how we
1: come back from that is so important. I know that there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, the kaiju theme poetry in your, in this book. Um, do you think this is kind of a tough question to ask? Do you think that that is a little bit of a barrier for people that aren't necessarily, uh, familiar with the genre? Or do you think that you are, um, I'm trying to think of how to word this, how you're exploring, common enough themes that even the uninitiated can understand exactly what you're talking about? Oh, that's a good question.
0: I So for this book, I did something that's rather non-traditional for collections of poems. I actually have included full reference material, footnotes, uh, a references list at the end of the book. Um, That way, as people read the poems, they can look at the footnotes below and see what references i'm making to specific characters and films sure. um like if you if if i had a screen right now and if i were to pull up the poem the kaiju inside it has like several footnotes that are super lengthy because mm-hmm. each of those characters each of those kaiju are referenced right and for those who may not be familiar with say like rodan or mothra or whatever like i want them to see Who those characters are and how they have connected with me in some ways. So I would argue that that boundary would have probably been there definitely without those footnotes, but I'm hoping the footnotes really help bridge the uninitiated when it comes to um, these different kaiju references.
1: I think that's incredibly helpful because I, I do have it pulled up here. And 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 that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to focus in on this poem uh, for this moment, because there is a lot of references. There is a lot of name dropping and a lot of references in this poem. And what I found was super interesting. Now, I admittedly, I don't read a lot of poetry. I appreciate the the medium of poetry. I don't read a whole lot, but I feel like that is a pretty unique thing for a book like this to put footnotes as, uh, as references as to what you're actually talking about. So there's that, uh, there is that lower barrier to entry for anyone who is uninitiated or unfamiliar with who these, with who these characters are. And I think what's also really helpful is, you know, you also give context uh, They're in these footnotes, you give context to, uh, I think there's one here. Um, uh, I think there's one here for Rodan Uh, Where you referenced Rodan as sort of the anti-hero, giving more context to the character, to the characteristics and the personality of the character of Rodan. Yeah, exactly. Like,
0: and, and it really just, I think it opens up the intent behind the lines that he's referenced in, especially, right? Because in the film, Rodan is not, he's just a natural creature that is released, right? Like, Mm -hmm. he's just living and existing, And as LGBTQ plus people, like we're just living and existing as well, despite the different obstacles that we may face. Right. So like my goal was to just create those parallels,
1: you know. Mm -hmm. Who did um, who's the audience that you wrote this book for, Donnie? I would say.
0: There are multiple different audiences. Mm -hmm. Um, I really wanted to write this book for, of course, LGBTQ plus audiences and allies, which is very, I would say, inclusive on a whole Mm -hmm. variety of different fronts.
1: Yeah, that that broadens the spectrum uh, tremendously.
0: Yeah, I I also wanted to write it for people who love pop cultural references, but I also (laughs) wanted to write it for people who um, struggle with mental health in some way. Uh, because I like, I, my philosophy has always been sometimes the best way to assist others in their journeys is by mapping out your own, if that makes sense. And that's what my goal was for the entire book.
1: Mm -hmm. So you would say that you have, you have probably you, well, I'm not gonna say probably you have poured your your heart and soul into this project. Like this, if we go for the folks that will, will buy this book, they're going to get the fully unfiltered Donnie winter. Yes. 100%. Okay. I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful, I'm sure it's a beautiful process. And speaking of a beautiful process, um, how, what advice would you give uh, a young aspiring? Well, it doesn't have to be young, but that limits it too much. It doesn't, or just an aspiring poet, like, what advice would you give to someone who would, who wants to dabble in poetry or wants to make a uh, a work like similar to this for themselves? Oh, yeah. And, and this advice also
0: applies to people who want to do any sort of writing, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, my biggest advice is just do it, honestly. We are always navigating so many people in our lives who say that writing isn't worth anything, that it's just some... Silly thing to pass the time that it's just a hobby, but like it may start out that way, but it has so much potential if you continue doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, put your work out there, send it out to publishers. That's um, terrifying. It's terrifying it is. by the way. Oh, it is terrifying. Like I'm not going to lie. Like my first collection of poems, Carbon Footprint, I sent out to several publishers before it finally got accepted. I went through so much rejection But when you finally get an acceptance and you can hold a body of your work in your hands, it makes all of that struggle worth it. But at the end of the day, like I just encourage people to not necessarily focus on the act of the writing, but focus on what you want the writing to do for potential readers and ultimately for yourself when it comes to fulfillment, right? How do you want to be fulfilled by your own writing? Answer that question. And I think that's going to
1: really help ignite, you know, your creativity. Yeah. And I, and I think it's, I think that, that that we as humans, we are so, uh, adverse, averse, there we go there. We're so averse to, you know, failure and, you know, feeling like we didn't accomplish what goal we set out for ourselves, you know, and to tack on, to, to piggyback off of that, I'll add that, you know, for me personally, in my own life, you know, I failed a ton. Like I have, I have fought, I have, I have made missteps. I have failed, but you know, I have grown to not fear failure, but I'm more terrified of, of not learning something from that failure of not taking those experiences that I have that I've gained from kind of having missteps and and making mistakes. And, um, some of my biggest regrets in my life are things that I are, are, moments when I have failed or moments that I've made a mistake, but I never went back and either corrected that mistake or, uh, went back and tried again that that's, that's the part that scares me the most is, is not learning from that process. And I think this whole, like, you know, writing a book in itself is a process, but writing a book of poetry is a, is a process so unique because you are diving so deeply into your own personal psyche, your own emotions and your own life experiences. And you're putting this out on page or in on a, on a blog or something for folks to read. And that, you know, that's a really beautiful, that's a really beautiful thing. Thank
0: you. Yeah. I can really relate with what you said regarding that fear of not learning something from failure. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: like, I I will add to that, that another one of my fears is allowing discouraging people to prevent me from being who I am or producing the work that I want to produce. Mm -hmm. And I think that I've largely gotten to a point in my life where I've overcome that fear, but I know that that fear is very debilitating, So if I were to add on a secondary piece of advice for people who want to write, surround yourself with people who will empower and uplift you with regard to that. um, And, and remove the people from your life um, who just discourage you constantly.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think that is so vital. Like that is so vital. Like if any, if any key of, if any key life advice I could give somebody is just surround yourself with folks, uh, not, and let me just tack on here, not necessarily like-minded folks because a lot of people make the mistake. I think of surrounding themselves with like, with like-minded folks and you wind up with an echo chamber. I personally like to surround myself with a people, with people of varying opinions and lifestyles and life experiences, because I want the, I want the broad spectrum of, of, just life. And I'm saying life a lot, but that's just sort of what it all boils down to is just doing doing and experiencing life together as a human being. And I think that's important to just surround yourself with a diverse group of people, that you can get the full breadth of that, of those life experiences. I agree 100%. And
0: truthfully, when you do surround yourself with those diverse people, uh, that translates back to inspiration like that will help you better create characters better produce the art that you want to produce better write the poems that you want to write like mm-hmm. it, it gives you a more broadened perspective and that's very important as a creator
1: yeah you know, art imitates life you know art imitates life in so many so many ways and if you're surrounding yourself with And I'm not trying to be cheeky here, but if you're surrounding yourself with unique and interesting people, then you're going to come up with some unique and interesting characters when you're trying to tell those stories. Oh, it's completely correct. Yeah, I completely agree. So, you know, I know. So this process has been is such a rewarding one for anyone who isn't who who would embark on this journey. So let me ask you, Donnie, what has been the most rewarding part of your journey from just a kaiju fan, we'll say it led to just a ca- just a, just a casual fan to now a uh, published poet author, Donnie winter. What is, what has been the most rewarding part of all that? Uh, the most rewarding part for me has been the connections that I've made with other
0: wonderful people, mm-hmm. other creators who are, you know, carving out their path or who have their established path. Like I feel like putting work out there has really helped me connect with a whole variety of different people. But as a creator, as as a poet, my goal has been to, you know, help other people find some sort of catharsis for themselves. And I like every once in a while I'll get like messages or emails from people who might read one of the poems and say, like, Donnie, wow, like, this really changed my perspective. This really helped me cope with this thing. Or it helped me, you know, re-visualize what I want to do with regard to some aspect of my life. When I get messages like that, like, that really is validating as a creator. And at the end of the day, I think many of us create because we want to Extend ourselves. We want to make those connections, right? So when those connections are seen and felt, like it becomes a very wholesome experience.
1: Yeah, it does. It does. And you know, this is. It sounds like you are well on your way to to producing such wonderful work. And you've already produced. I should say you've already were produced such wonderful work so far. Uh, what you've allowed Travis and I to read. Uh, is just a snippet of, of, uh, of the work you've put into not just this book, but the other projects you're, the other projects you're involved in. So, you know, where, if people are interested in this project, where can they find out more about it or where can they purchase a copy for themselves?
0: Oh good. Uh so both of my collections of poems are on Amazon. Uh mm-hmm. if you just search Donnie Winter, uh you'll be able to find both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh if you visit my website, DonnyWinter.com, you can also find other uh stuff there, links to the different poems if you want to read sure. a sampling. Um but
1: yeah, that's where you can find them. Okay. I will make sure to link, I'll make sure to put a link to where people can purchase those in the show notes of this bonus episode. Uh, Donnie, before we get out of here, where or what other projects are you involved in? Uh, let's just go ahead. I'm, I'm just going to call this your shameless plug section. So <laughs> whatever, whatever you want to plug, whatever you want to talk about, uh, as it pertains to your career or what you're involved in now's the time go for it. Well, let's see. Uh, I've
0: plugged my books. I've plugged my website. I would say my YouTube, like that would be the other plug that I want to make. I love vlogging. I love collaborating. My YouTube is a hodgepodge of conversation about pop culture, current events. Uh, social issues. And of course, Godzilla, I know it's probably odd thinking of how, how, how the heck does somebody incorporate Godzilla into that? But I do. So if you want to go check it out, um, if you just search my name on YouTube, youtube.com slash Johnny winter, you'll be able to find
1: my stuff. Yeah. I mean, Godzilla is relevant to a lot of things that we go through on a, on a day to day basis. So you're, it may seem like to the untrained eye that you're, out in left field, but I 100% don't think you are. <laughs> there is a method to my madness, I promise. <laughs> I, think, I think there's a method to everyone's madness. And uh, speaking of madness, uh, I just want to thank everyone for tuning into this bonus episode. Donnie, thank you so much for uh, joining me for this conversation. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for
0: having me. It's been an honor to have this conversation and to uh, be a part of this this wonderful outlet. It means a lot to me
1: and Travis told me to send his regards. He had to be out today. He had to, I think he took his mom to a doctor's appointment and just could not make the conversation. So he let me, he told me to tell you, uh, thank you for coming on and just, uh, we look forward to, to having you back. Maybe we'll bring you back someday or sometime very soon to actually have a film discussion with us. I think that would be a blast. Ooh, I would be honored to do that. That would be fun. Thank you, Travis, by the way so I will simply say thank you to the faithful kaiju weekly listener. If you want to find everything that Donnie is involved in, I will put links to all of his stuff in the description of this episode. If you want to check out all of his work, uh, go on to, uh, uh, donnywinter.com donnywinter.com thank you go on to. <laughs> thank you i was just trying to think of the name of your website but it's donnywinter.com um and you'll find everything there thank you so much for listening and supporting this show and supporting Kajirama rama magazine it would not be possible conversations would not be possible without the faithful listeners just like you so until next time see you later and that's the best i got <laughs> <laughs>